Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel for an episode of Around the Horn with UBS Asset Management's Fixed Income Team. On a monthly basis, we do hear from top portfolio managers and business heads from Asset Management's Muni, taxable fixed income and liquidity teams. We do hear candidly from them on their views on the markets and what they believe you should be focused on within the fixed income space. Joining us for today's roundtable, glad to welcome back Anthony Liotti, head of the Fixed Income SMA Advisory Group. Anthony will also serve as our moderator for today's roundtable. Uh, joining us as well, both Dave Walzak as well as Dave Rothweiler, Portfolio Managers for Asset Management's Liquidity Strategies. We also have with us Dave Ignolo, Head of Asset Management's U.S. Corporate Fixed Income Strategies. Anders Nelson, Portfolio Manager for U.S. High Yield Corporate Fixed Income. David Michael, Senior Portfolio Manager for Emerging Markets. And Chuck Grande, Head of the Municipal Bond Investment Team. So with that, Anthony, welcome back. I'll pass it over to you. Dan, thank you as always. Well, I think I'll start out like I, I usually do and uh, addressing a few of the, of the macro level uh, newsworthy items that, that we've seen come out within the market of the past uh, week or, or so, including today. So let, let's start it off with, with the CPI figure that came out uh, this morning. Uh, it was, as, as many have seen, right on the scoops expected by the market. But, uh, you know, what's pretty amazing here is even though the number came right in line, the market is pretty much interpreting the data as, as I'd say, bullish, right? Um, you know, we've got, um, uh, the, perhaps they're interpreting that, that inflation came in sub 5%. Another reason for, for pause, you know, the headline number at 4.9%. Man, that's a great market headline for the administration that's showing that inflation is less than, than 5%. And I say this, typically we know CPI as a, as a lagging indicator, but you know, I saw a great note this morning I want to share, and that was saying that, um, CPI has been amongst the most market moving data in the past year since 2022. So over the last year, let's say the 10 year treasury has moved on average 10.3 basis points per standard deviation on CPI over that time period versus around five basis points during 2021. So, and that's clearly holding true to, uh, true today. So the number, so I think at least for now, solidify the fact that the Fed can at least at least pause, right? Uh, going back to last week, we had a couple of important numbers I just want to touch upon. First was the, obviously the 25 basis point move by by the Fed, um, increasing the the lower bound to to five percent. And I think with, with that raise, look clearly, <clears throat> some of the marketplace are speculating, assuming that that was the last one by the Fed for this recent, and I'd say record-breaking as we own the cycle. Uh, it was clearly, I'd say, a, a cautious hike, and now that we have, you know, we'll, we'll basically be dealing with on every number like we saw today for the next, you know, week, months, we'll all be debating, was this going to be a pause, is it going to be a cut, is it going to be a hike, right? And that's what we'll be literally looking at with every leading indicator that is published. Uh, last Friday, of course, we had... Uh, the payroll numbers, um, actually, it was another, you could say, record-breaking uh, momentous occasion here. And the fact that we, where we broke the record was, it was 13 consecutive months, right, 13 consecutive months where the survey of the market excuse me, participants were too conservative with their projections as far as the U.S. labor market. So clearly, you know, we're, there has consistently been 
uh, a lot of assumptions here or, or, you know, thoughts that the market was going to go in one direction. But when you're looking at this labor market, man, it continues to be running very, very hot here, right? And the other misinterpretations, right, let's start out. Inflation, strength of the economy. And again, I just touched upon the resiliency of the labor market. Fed funds, where was this terminal rate going to end? You name it. If there's anything sort of predictable about this market, is that it's completely unpredictable. Uh, and then lastly, We'll talk about this a little bit on, on the call today with the PMs. Uh, let's talk about the debt ceiling, right? We have been talking about this on these calls for some time now, and last week Dave Walsack and I uh, taped an iron call providing, I'd say, a, a good deep dive into the debt ceiling, uh, what we see as the potential impacts to the market and how we within UBS Asset Management are specifically uh, addressing the issues, whether that be with our treasury SMAs, and or money funds, and, and I would imagine that Dave will, will probably, you know, talk about this in, in just a few minutes um, regarding the debt ceiling and um, the most recent uh, updates to to those discussions. So actually, let's use that as a great segue. Dave, um, as we always do on these calls, let's start out with you, Dave Walzak, Dave Wathweiler on our short end. So Dave, take it away, my friend. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Anthony. And as you were just touching on, um, certainly the debt ceiling continues to remain front and center for us here uh, on, on the front end. Um, so in terms of latest developments, um, you know, last week, Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, kind of gave her updated forecast of the X date, uh, where she more or less kind of reiterated some of her earlier guidance, um, basically saying early June, but importantly, she also said uh, potentially as early as, as June 1st. So um, the market kind of took that information and, and basically, um, you know, uh, sold off. Uh, we saw uh, sell off in short uh, June bills. Um, you know, specifically the June 1st and the June 6th. Uh, so we kind of saw a leg a higher end yield of, of those tenors, um, which is to be expected. You know, this is something that we've seen in other debt ceiling episodes. You know, kind of once the market gets a little bit more focused on a next date. You know, those are the um, maturities that we tend to see the most pressure, um, and this is really uh, no different. So uh, right now we're waiting for, you know, obviously the bill to come out of uh, Congress. Um, we There was a meeting yesterday with congressional leaders and President Biden. Um, I think it went as expected, and by as expected, you know, really no new news uh, coming out. You know, it's good, obviously, the um, sides are, are talking, but um, obviously the market is looking for more concrete um uh, for progress in, in form of, uh, of a bill. Um, so what we're looking at in terms of next steps, um, you know, it looks like the congressional aides are continuing to meet, and then on Friday there's going to be kind of another uh, meeting of congressional leaders with the administration. And then uh, next week I think is going to be pretty closely watched. Um, you know, I believe it is actually the only week uh, for the rest of uh, the, the month where both chambers of Congress uh, are in session, um, you know, obviously later on in the month, you know, presumably one of the chambers could be called back in the session, but um, I think next week is going to be pretty critical in terms of um, at least, you know, um, putting out a, a path forward for, for a resolution here. So um, in terms of how we've been managing our, our portfolios, you know, starting first on the money market side, um, you know, really no change. Um, if you look at our latest monthly holdings as of the end of April, uh, especially in our treasury fund, you'll see there's no uh, maturities beyond the end of May, um, and the next maturity after that uh, doesn't occur until 2024. So we've, we've carved out a pretty um, you know, big hole in, in the portfolio in terms of not having any uh, maturing exposure uh, for the remainder of, of the year. 
Uh, we still continue to hold very high degree of uh, repo in our money market funds, especially our treasury fund. Uh, obviously, looking to keep elevated levels of liquidity uh, through this debt ceiling situation. Um, the WAMs continue to be pretty short as, as well. Um, so, you know, again, really not too much of a change in terms of our approach there. Uh, with our SMA uh, Advantage portfolios, um, you know, prior to Yellen's announcement, um, you know, last week, uh, we did do some tweaks to the strategy in terms of uh, selling out of any June exposure uh, that we had in particular in those uh, one-year max um, uh, strategies. So uh, that was a recent change that we did there. Um, so now within those strategies, we have no maturities between June and, and August. So that's kind of the uh, window we, we've carved out uh, for, for those strategies. So um, I think with that, I'll uh, hand it over to Dave Offletter to talk about um, the short duration and all short strategies. Thanks a lot, Dave. So just real quickly, I just want to give a snapshot on front-end markets and some of the things we've been doing. Um, just generally looking at the Bark, uh, the Bloomberg 1-3 to corporate OAS index, month-to-date spreads are about 10 wider to about 70 basis points, which is near the year-to-date high of around 75 basis points. <clears throat> With credit uh, spreads generally wider, we tried to take advantage of that widening by continuing to increase our ABS exposure where we can. Um, given we tend to focus on prime, double A and triple A rated ABS, it's a nice way to increase our beta or market credit risk. Given ABS is a diversified pool with over uh, collateralized structures, with credit uh, being generally wider, ABS offers a nice way to take advantage of that risk while avoiding more idiosyncratic risk or risk tied to a specific name. Think you know some of the regional bank vol that we've recently experienced. Obviously, the market continues to experience that bank volatility, notably with with the smaller regionals. Uh, we just want to comment when when looking at the banks and financials in our coverage universe, post earnings or analysts are, are comfortable with the names on our approved list. On the relative value side, with some front end industrials offered in the market with spreads sometimes that are near single digits to treasuries, we have found some value in U.S. agency securities that can have higher spreads versus some of the richer industrials. So we continue to focus on relative value opportunities that not only enhance our returns but further diversify risk. Year to date, we stood, we have stayed close to home with a more uh, neutral duration posture, especially in our sh- uh, short duration one to three strategy. And we just want to reiterate in closing, um, you know, the front end yields are still attractive, ultra short, uh, is yielding about north of 5% with a duration of about 0.8 years. And our short duration one to three is yielding a 470 at a gross, uh, 470 gross at 1.8 years. So with that, I'll pass it on to David Nola. Thank you. Thanks, David. You know, I think with investment grade credit, just overall, it still remains very attractive to investors. And I, I say that for a couple of reasons. One, you know, really the, the Fed's objectives, um, you know, lowering inflation, um, Slowing growth, but not too dramatically, too quickly, up to this point is working. So we're seeing, you know, with the lower inflation and trending down and then the low unemployment and growth slowly, but not too dramatically, a lot of investors looking into the asset class for the attractive all in yield uh, and the higher quality aspects of investment-grade companies. And I think, you know, from a fundamental perspective, uh, first quarter earnings, uh, you know, came out and they beat the lowered expectations. So... Um, that was positive. And then from a technical perspective, we haven't seen a lot of um, new issue supply over the last couple of months. Uh, April was around, you know, $60 billion, uh, And this month, uh, is, this is expected to be quite high. We were expecting $150 billion for May. 
uh, and it's been pretty uh, pretty slow out of the gates here. At roughly at this point, only about sixty billion. So the month's still you know in progress. But my point is, the technicals we're not seeing a lot of supply, uh, and we're seeing consistent demand inflows into the asset class pretty consistent every week. And liquor flows we're seeing it where they're all in clients uh, because when you can have an all in yield. Uh, the, the one to thirty year corporate index is about five twenty five. Our strategies, like the active intermediate strategy, inter, you know, the one to ten ladder, all of the ladder strategies are really, you know, a little over five percent. So when you can lock in a a five hundred five five ten type yield and a, a ladder strategy that's seventy percent single A and thirty percent triple B, that's that's pretty darn attractive. Uh, historically, when you get yields above you know, four four and a half percent. In the best market corporate bonds. That's really, from a historic perspective, a pretty attractive entry point for long-term, you know, total return investors. So, so we're seeing strong demand there. What we've been doing, though, because I think as David, you know, or Anthony talked earlier about the Fed funds rate going up, and now they're pausing. We're definitely starting to look to extend the, our client, our active intermediate strategy from a duration, you know, maturity perspective, uh, because the peak in yield for the Treasury market, you know, we saw the two-year Treasury yield get up above five percent. It's currently three eighty-nine. The ten-year Treasury yield got to four twenty-four in the fourth quarter, and that's you know now at three forty-three. So the market is definitely pricing in a high in interest rates, and I think that's our forecast that we've already seen the peak in interest rates. And I think a lot of uh, investors are trying to grab that total return opportunity as, as interest rates start to trend back down. So we've been, you know, pushing out maturity uh, and duration for the portfolio and the active strategies, and then our, our latter strategies, we're trying to stay fully invested and extend back out. Whenever, whatever strategy you're in for the ladders, uh, to extend back out the curve in the one to ten and the one to five and the one to three to, to maximize the advantage of falling interest rates. And just, I want to touch on the regional bank topic. It's been in the, in the news and as everybody knows, we've been uh, very diligent. Um, we don't reach for yield and buy cuspy credits. And so we've been really focused and holding throughout this process, basically the money center banks, the big six, you know, the Morgan families, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, those names, JP Morgan's of the world. And really, the few regional banks, we hold the large regional banks, like the PNCs of the world in Pittsburgh, uh, USB, which is out of U.S. Band Corp out of Minneapolis, really strong, big regional banks. And they're, they're feeling a little pain, but we still have a very strong and comfortable view from a fundamental perspective on those credits. Will we see some, will the equity side of that ledger see some, some volatility? Yes, but uh, we're very comfortable holding those strong regional banks. We don't, we continue to avoid European banks. Um, we've been reducing exposure in the Japanese banks because we think the yield curve controls might unwind there in the, in the coming months, so we want to avoid that volatility. But in general, um, that's been our focus, and I think overall we continue to like the front end of the curve with the treasury curve being you know inverted, but uh, we are building out and moving back into the belly of the curve you know, five to ten years. So that's really been the focus uh, for the strategies. And then outside of that, from a sector perspective, we're still – you know, a little defensive uh, with focus on the consumer non-cyclical space, the, the cable media space, really companies with very strong fundamentals as we move through an environment where we all we all realize and know that the financial conditions are going to tighten, especially from the bank side now doing kind of the Fed's legwork as they pause into the summer months. So cautious uh, and uh, but see opportunities um, in the marketplace, especially a little farther out the curve uh, with interest rates, you know, training back down again. But in general, Credit, I think overall, um, on very strong legs and outside of, uh, you know, the tech sector from an unemployment, you know, uh, reducing headcount, we have seen very few sectors and industries, um, looking to, uh, substantially reduce headcount, which 
is very supportive for uh, growth slowing, but not too quickly uh, in the coming quarter. So I'll stop there and pass it on to Anders to talk about Taiyu. Thank you, David. Spreads have been trading in a range of about 100 basis points, and currently we sit somewhere between the middle and the top end of this range as the uh, market continues to contend with different signals from various risk factors. Uh, the story of the regional banks is not done yet. Um, we're seeing tighter lending conditions, which will impact economic growth, and debt ceiling talks have become more prominent. And if we look at what the market is pricing in terms of near-term rate cuts, it indicates that there are some worries out there around uh, something breaking. Uh, given these uncertainties, we continue to prefer an up-in-quality tilt in the portfolios and have a higher allocation to double B-rated credits. Uh, there are two things that help us worry a little bit less in this uncertain market. It's the strong credit fundamentals as well as supportive technicals. High-yield issuers are well into earnings season, and things are looking good across all sectors. Um, 80% of issuers have beat their earnings estimates, and two-thirds of management teams have issued positive forward guidance. Companies are well-equipped to weather the uncertainty with their strong balance sheets. Uh, they also have plenty of time to come up with solutions to deal with their outstanding debt as there is not much coming due for another two years. Now, turning to the technical factors, there is a supply-demand imbalance where there are not enough bonds to buy. As mentioned on previous calls, we see the high-yield universe shrinking by around 10% this year, driven by net upgrades to investment grade, as well as low levels of primary issuance. It's especially pronounced in the front end um, as issuers have been actively calling and tendering for their shorter maturity debt, and new issues typically come with a longer eight-year maturity. Uh, we might see a pickup in new issuance uh, in the coming weeks as companies look to capitalize their, their good numbers, but we expect this to remain manageable. In April, we had a total of $5 billion cash built, uh, which is about half percent of the index as uh, cash was generated from inflows into funds, coupon payments, as well as bonds maturing, and that exceeded the amount of new bonds being issued. The money will either have to be put to work in the secondary market or if investment managers decide to let cash bills, it will at least dampen any sell activity, especially in this environment where it's difficult or expensive to replace bonds and sitting on the sidelines for too long is, is uh, difficult with yields being where they are right now. Uh, we do think we will continue to see volatility uh, within a range in the near term, driven by market sentiment uh, on an index level. Uh, and there will be an increase in dispersion between winners and losers because um, not all issuers are the same, uh, and that will make credit selection more important, which is why we're happy to be supported by our credit research team in running our diver diversified uh, portfolios. We've been of uh, keeping cash levels uh, between 1% and 2%, so pretty fully invested, and we like to collect the carry. The short uh, duration high yield strategy yields about 6.8% with a duration of 1.7 years and has a double B minus rating. The crossover strategy yields 5.8% with a duration of 2.8 years and an overall rating of triple B minus. I'll stop there and hand it over to David Michael to speak on EM. Thank you, Anders. Uh, emerging market credit spreads over the last month were relatively flat. Um, we saw tightening in investment-grade credits, while high-yield credits widened. This means EM total returns were primarily driven by moves in U.S. interest rates. Um, beyond the uh, headlines on debt ceiling that my peers have uh, discussed, 
Um, markets continue to be disappointed with slower than expected rebound in growth from China and the softer tone towards Chinese domestic real estate and infrastructure markets. This coupled with concerns around U.S. growth has applied downward pressure on both oil and hard commodities. In this backdrop, emerging markets' primary activity has been low in the month of April. And not only was the month of April reflected with net negative supply, this now makes 12 of the last 14 months where emerging markets have had net negative supply. This creates a positive technical backdrop for EM investors as cash positions continue to build. As we move through the summer months, um, we expect primary activity to remain low. And with average monthly rollover between $25 and $30 billion per month, we expect cash balances to continue to increase. And this leaves emerging markets in a strong technical position with room for EM spreads to tighten in the second half of the year. In our EMD, one to 10 year ladder um, has a duration of around three years and yields around 6%. It continues to offer this blend of high quality names that provide cushion on downside and a number of high yield credits that uh, will capture both upside in a carry as well as a rallying market environment. From here, I'd like to hand it over to Chuck. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, first, I'd like to touch upon just the debt ceiling and what it might mean to Muni Credit as it relates to the U.S. government. Certainly, the sovereign government of the United States had its rating call into question the last time we were in this uh, predicament. And um, certainly, what I would say is that there is the opportunity on an indirect basis for um, any catastrophic event to really affect Muni Credit. Um, by this, I'm not talking about state ratings. The rating agencies treat the states in the United States, many of them, um, such as uh, California or New York, as their own sovereign credits within a sovereign credit. Um, but I'm talking more about, um, you know, Garvey bonds or housing bonds, student loans, anything that has a guarantee or a backup from the United States government issued in the muni market. Certainly, um, we have to think long and hard about those credits and what a downgrade in the, uh, in the U.S.'s sovereign rating might mean for those credits. Uh, we also think about states such as Maryland or Virginia in the case of sequestration or furlough of government employees because so much of their uh, their government uh, jobs, their economy is reliant on government jobs um, from the federal government level. So certainly that's another thing to think about um, and, and prepare yourself for in terms of what you own and how you'll handle owning it. The last thing I'll say as it relates to um, the debt ceiling is that the U.S. government has always has already shut down the state and local government window, the commonly referred to as the slug window, S-L-U-G window. Um, what this does is it limits um, refunding opportunities within the market because these securities are primarily used to fund escrows for refunded bonds, and that window has already been closed. So certainly there are some knock-on effects from what's going on um, with the debt ceiling discussions. Uh, they will indirectly touch upon the muni market. We've been through this before. Um, it may not have a uh, direct impact, but it certainly will affect the market and how these securities trade. So we keep an eye on that. In terms of the market itself, um, the first week in May was able to reverse the trend of negative performance that we saw primarily in the month of uh, April. And the muni market still continues on a positive tone. Um, Year-to-date, we're up close to 3%, 2.90% year-to-date, which is a good thing. It's mainly a product of the technical factors in the market. Um, there's still been very good demand for municipal bonds. 
the tax-admissible bonds throughout the year. Flows are negative. Um, however, at the same time, issuance is you know extremely difficult um, to find. I would point to, if we look at the first few months of the year, except for the month of January, muni issuance has been down $10 billion on a month-by-month basis. Um, and that does allow technicals to rule the day in terms of the positive performance. Um, we see Treasury securities, we see taxable securities go whipping by as munis basically sit still and wait to see which way um, the direction they will be pulled. Um, and thus far, it has been a positive environment. As we look forward to the summer months, um, we do expect this to continue. We see no reason for there to be a flood of issuance into the mini market at this stage of the game. And yet we have the big demand months of June and July, the investment months of June and July coming up. So we're actively getting portfolios reinvested as quickly as we possibly can now. We think that there will be a demand grab in the early summer months. We think it'll quiet down as the summer proceeds. We think this allows us to continue to buy um, municipal bonds at attractive yield levels, um, levels that may not be here um, as we head towards the end of the year. So we're trying to lock in these higher yields in attractive portions of the curve. So getting invested quickly and getting invested now is important um, to us. With that, let me turn it back to you, Anthony. Great. Chuck, thanks for that update on the uh, debt ceiling communities because it is something that really has not been uh, to discuss broadly out there, so so wonderful, um, uh, wonderful way to start the call out there. Um, and as I'll end this call to say uh, thanks for tuning in. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.